Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 159 of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I am back here in Lander, Wyoming, training for spring trips and honestly just getting a lot of things done, which feels really good. I just recently got back from Houston and I wanted to say thanks to all of the coaches at the Houston Momentum Gyms for having Nate and I over and for going through the workshop with us. We had a lot of fun, so thank you guys for that. We really, really appreciate it. Um, Coming up in my schedule, if you are interested, I'll be speaking at the CWA Summit. May 13th through the 15th is the dates of the summit, and I'll be there talking about how the modern climbing gym is letting down the core climber. Um, This is something I'm really, really interested in. Obviously, I deal with a lot of climbers. I talk to a lot of climbers, and I really feel like there are some things, some small things that gyms could be doing to really set climbers on a better path. And I'm going to discuss the shortfalls, the shortcomings, and what gyms could be doing better. I'm going to give some strategies for gyms that they can implement pretty quickly to make things better for the core climber. Immediately after that, I'll be at the Performance Climbing Coach, May 16th to the 18th. That's at City Rock in Colorado Springs. If you've not signed up for that yet and you want to come, do it. There's a link right there in the show notes in your pocket supercomputer. All right. As you can tell, I'm jumping into this thing quickly today. I'm busy. I got a lot of things going on. But I also want to take some time to introduce our next guest. I have the unique opportunity to be able to reach out to people and have these conversations and set up these conversations that that might seem a little strange to people if I weren't a podcast host with 150-some episodes already out in the interwebs. And sometimes I find people online who... I'm just drawn to their story. I want to know more about them. The way they carry themselves, present themselves online is um, interesting to me. And I just want to know more. I, I feel like those people have something to teach me. And I at least owe them my undivided attention, which is hard to give on social media. Um This is one of those cases. Today's guest is Brittany Levitt. Brittany is a preschool teacher at the Smithsonian, which is one of the coolest things I've ever heard of. She's also an REI outdoor instructor. She's worked with or is working with uh, Brown Girls Climb, Outdoor Afro, Color the Crag, the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, um, as well as In 2018, she was part of the first all-black U.S. team to summit Kilimanjaro. So her resume is big. It's wide. She does a lot. 
And so I specifically want to thank Brittany for taking the time to schedule this conversation, to sit down with the, you know, with me to have this conversation during a trip in which she said she wasn't going to do any work because this is essentially work. While while these conversations are very organic, there's definitely an element of I'm going in really wanting to learn from this person. So they are, my guests are always in a position where I'm looking to them to teach me. And that's work, frankly. So I appreciate it. Thank you so, so much. One last thing. In this episode, I thought I was just tired and my voice was was going out. But in fact, I was coming down with the flu. So you'll have to excuse my my voice, my coughing, and Brittany, I hope that I didn't hand it over to you as well. All right, let's get into it. Okay, now you're a real climber type of thing where it's like, no, you can be someone nine to five and be a weekend warrior, or you can be someone that wears their Jordans to the crag because that's their approach shoes, you know? they do you just have to take that time to break it down for them um for their level and they really will understand and so i think that's really cool about like they're really lucky because their classroom is the museums and so we're able to go through like really deep conversations on like photography and like breaking down like the insides of the camera and being able to give them cameras and like we're gonna go look at um so they get to come to the smithsonian for class Mm mm-hmm Yep. So our classrooms so in cool. <laughs> classrooms in the Natural History Museum. Um, so I've been there for five years, uh, and it's really great too because I actually grew up in the Smithsonian um, as a kid. That was like the weekend really? thing that my dad would do. We'd go. You had my dream life. <laughs> yeah, we'd go to the museums and like hang out. And um, I went through phases where I thought I was going to work in the museum, like as a paleobiologist. I took a course. Um, got certified, so I volunteered for a while. Wow. Like, nerdy side and really into fossils and like. Me too. <laughs> it's, they're just really cool, and um, yeah, now I'm teaching kids like how to navigate really museums and understand how what they see is like can be projected in everyday life and helps them just expand their idea and like conversations and honesty in the real world because, you know, they need that. <laughs> Very cool. It's like. Part of part of this is like speaking to six year old me who just loved dinosaurs and fossils and, you know, wanted to be a paleontologist. <clears throat> and the other part <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice here. Too many of these conversations. <laughs> um the other part is like talking to this side of me that has really emerged in the last couple of years where I want to give more people a voice and like tell people the ideas that other people are having and, you know, just let people know we can talk for an hour and people want to hear it. You know, tens of thousands of people are going to download it and listen to what you have to say. And this has become one of my favorite things for that reason, you know, so to do that for kids and just to teach them that so early is amazing. It's yeah, it's really fun. Um, To the three year olds, you know, 
that's also the time when they're learning their independence. Yeah. So there are days <clears> when I come home, I'm just like, all right. I got <laughs> I had a magma tile thrown at me a couple of times. Oh, today. yeah, I bet. But it's like I understand because you may not have all the words that you want to say. Like, I get it. You're frustrated at me. We're yep. going to talk about it. We're going to recognize it. And we're going to talk about alternative ways <laughs> of not... Um, what an amazing thing to teach kids when yeah. they're young. You know, my <laughs> wife is a social worker in Lander, Wyoming, and works with elementary school kids, and it's the same kind of thing. Like I, I wish I would have had her in my school when I was a kid, you know, to learn those skills then, instead of having to wait until I was like nineteen or something, mm-hmm. and just growing up as an idiot boy, you know. <laughs> but I'm gonna jump way ahead here, yeah, yeah. because I've been wanting to talk to you about <laughs> roller derby all damn night, yeah. <laughs> And I've been holding it back so we we didn't get it all, all the juicy stuff out. How in the hell did you get into roller derby? So um, my friend actually started a league in Salisbury. So this is when I was living on the Eastern Shore. Um, started the Salisbury Roller Girls. Um, and I've always been an active person. <clears throat> like I've done volleyball, tennis. I was a question writer for 10 years. So in a long distance cycler, like so. For me, trying something new um, has always kind of been my my way. And um, it was like one of those like after a really rough breakup mm-hmm. of like a tense like high school sweetheart five year type of thing. Seems I'm to like, be the way we all yeah, discover yeah, new things in our yeah, lives. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I was <clears> get like, your hair cut and try a new thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm going to try roller derby and see what it's all about. Um, and I already inline skated and I was also like into skateboarding. I wasn't like really great at it, but I was into it. So I kind of, in my mind, I'm like, I already have that kind of background. Um, but what's really cool is in that space, like building community and like being part of sports that build community, they, um, teach you from like the start. So people will walk into like being on a team, not knowing how to roller skate. Yeah. And, within a month they'll know how to actually do crossovers and understand the diamond and like yeah. learn we break everything down learning the proper ways of hitting because most most of the time when people think of roller derby they think of like old school bank track where like right. it was very dramatic pushing each other yeah into the pushing walls each other and, like yeah. pulling hair <laughs> or they see whip it they're like oh that's what you do and like right. actually right. we have rules and like we're allowed to hit each other, but there's like regulations and like the rules also change um, over time. Um, but so there's actually two different types. There's the bank track, which is like what people often see um, with like the raised up. And then there's the flat track. And that's yep. what I did was the flat track um, for three years. That's so damn cool. <laughs> yeah, I worked at a skating rink for years when I was like 17, 18, 19, you know. And just loved it intensely. And I love to like go skating with my daughter. And she's always so embarrassed because I'm like, I'm a good skater. And she's like, Dad, you're showing <laughs> off. And I'm like, No, I'm just skating. Like, deal with it. Your friends think I'm cool. You know? <laughs> but I love it. <clears throat> you mentioned equestrian mm-hmm. sports and long distance cycling, right? Mm-hmm. Were you like, was there a, a strong women of color influence in those sports when you were getting into them? No. So, um, and I say that in a sense because the way that I grew up, I actually grew up as a transracial adoptee. So I grew up in a white household. So 
during my time with a lot of factories I partaked in, um, like obviously there were people out there that were doing it, but I just was never really connected or, you know, my parents tried as much as possible to try and connect me to my own community. But, right. you know, it's it's hard if you don't know. So sure, sure. a lot of the times, like, yeah, in the question world, no, I didn't have anyone to look up to. Um, anytime I saw like another black woman or a woman color, like, on a roller team, like it was like, all right, so it's not just me. Like we are doing this. So, yeah, yeah. it it took a a lot, um, a few years before realizing and building that strong community. Yeah, you you made an Instagram post a while ago that I thought was really fascinating, and it led me down this like uh, Google rabbit hole <laughs> of Darlene Anderson, um, like the first, I think that's her name, the first woman of color. She broke the color barrier for roller derby mm -hmm. essentially <clears throat> how important do you think that is to have the role model who looks like you to look up to it's very important very very important um you know kind of like in the way of kids um just realizing that you're not the only one is like a key <clears throat> idea of like isolation and that also bounces into like mental health. So there's like these like fine steps that people may not always like realize what it breeds into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, knowing that you have a sense of a community and I, I like to use that word a lot, a sense of like knowing, you know, that you can be in this space and not have to um, work towards it. Um, and obviously like for us, especially like in the, uh, POC world, but like we're always working towards whatever space we're trying to get into, but knowing that we can hold ourselves accountable holding, um, but in a sense, there's a term infinity spaces so making spaces mm. for ourselves is, yeah. is key. And so obviously for her, she was probably the only one for a while. And like maybe right. when she retired, <clears throat> someone, she finally saw one, someone that looked like her being part of it. Um, it's just creating that like stepping stone. And, yeah. um, and, and I like to use this example too, with my teaching. Um, and it's something as simple as hair. So my hair is really curly and I try to, um, allow my kids and understand and know that the hair that you have is beautiful. And so wear whatever you want to wear. And so sometimes I wear my hair out in the Afro and they're like, yeah. Oh, why is your hair like that? I'm like, Oh, that's, you know, that's just how my hair is, how my body is. And, um, but it also, I may only have one black child in my <clears> classroom, <throat> but that idea knowing that her hair is important to her. Yeah. Um, and seeing that as a younger age just helps that stepping stone as getting older. It's like, not battling oh i need to like fit in or i right. type of thing but yeah i think it's i think it's kind of fascinating that you know i i watched this argument happen on facebook a year or so ago um of all these white guys arguing about well why does this person need to see somebody like them you know why can't they see past the color why can't they just see them as humans and be inspired by them. And I'm like, it's that's easy for you to say because you're a white dude and there's 500 white dudes to look up to already doing it, you know? And when I was like, when I was a young kid and I was breakdancing and then when I started rapping, even more so, there were very few white people doing it, you know? And it never really occurred to me why I 
latched on to the Beastie Boys and Third Base and then Eminem, you know. But it was because they look like me, you know. I loved the other rappers and was inspired by all of these other rappers, but I definitely latched onto the ones who look like me, you know. And I think that's just a natural thing to do to be able to like see what's possible. Mm-hmm. It's it's so much nicer than having to try and imagine the whole thing just out of the blue, out of thin air, you know? And I, I think that's something important for white people to just remember is like, it's really easy for us to look, especially in the climbing world, and find people to look up to, mm-hmm. you know, to model ourselves after, to be inspired by. It's really, really easy. You know, and when I came up climbing, there were, I mean, I can think of two climbers of color for like the first 15 years that I climbed, you know? So there just weren't many to look up to. And that's where I think like Kai and Megan are so important to to that culture. Definitely, so. definitely. And <clears throat> yeah, when you, when you brought that up to the whole like, well, why can't you just go out and do it? And it's just, and you pretty much explained it perfectly in a sense of like, there's these steps. So, you know, for us, it's like, very historical um just yeah we can get out and do these spaces but also for us we see these spaces as like harm like right from the woods to these trees that probably were used um like for lynchings to you know trying to go to a gas station where probably the Mm. owner doesn't want you to be there so there's a lot more things for us to consider versus like you know i'm just gonna get my pad and go out there and like it's gonna be great um there's a, you know, for us having that stepping stone of people being willing to go through that suffering and that, you know, frustration to be able to like bring us here, even though, you know, we're not, it's not over. Racism is sure, not over. Not even it's, sort of. Yeah. You know, via social media and the ways that we see it now, um, it's, yeah, there's parts of it that has improved, but now we're just able to see it more every day in our lives and Mm -hmm. so when people can huff and scuff i'm like oh that happened in the past i'm like actually no that happened like a lot of things that happened in the past still happen they may happen in different ways um but for us it it is a a lot more emotional that goes into the steps of being a climber being a backpacker um and so yeah when you have someone who's willing to like i'm going to go out there and I may get some pushback, but I'm going to like, you know, elbow my way through in a sense. Um, it gives other people that idea of like, okay, if they can do it, I can do it. Also, we can do it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and like kind of building that long trauma, like opening the door. And then as you're doing it, you're like, I can now open up a door for someone else to come through and like kind of create that like beauty and chain. And then that connection of like, you're, seeing yourself represented and also seeing yourself represented in multiple ways um, too, which I, I also bring up as a key point because we always think about, you know, all POCs and especially in the black community, not everyone grew up in the same way. Right. Um, totally. So therefore, you know, we look <clears throat> up to a lot of people, but also really being allowed to say we're not all the same. Not all of us may listen to rap. Not all of us, right. you know, may add a hardship of growing up and so really being able to voice use your voice and like say like oh 
I am still part of this community, but I just may have had a different experience growing up as well too. But I'm still, I'm allowed to be myself type of thing. Yeah, too. that's that's super interesting to think about because that's something that white people just fall into naturally. We've populated this climbing community and, <clears throat> and we have lots of different backgrounds and no one ever, like it's not really thought about. We're all just climbers, you know? But I definitely fall into the trap of pigeonholing people. You know, it's just a, it's a reaction and I try to catch myself reacting that way. And, and I'm sure it happens even more so when you're like the obvious face that shows up at the crag that doesn't look like everyone else. Then I'm sure you get pigeonholed a lot and it's not like, oh, this is a, even though, you know, they all look, you all have the same skin color or whatever, they're still a diverse group of people within themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's pretty big to think about and to remember. I was, um, <clears throat> I think this happened shortly after the, after I recorded the Brown Girls Climb episode. And I was at a crag in Lander and it's like this off the beaten path crag that not many people go to. And we're all there by a few of us by ourselves. And, and this black gentleman walks up the trail and, you know, he's obviously not a climber, not a super outdoorsy person. He's dressed like he's not a super outdoorsy person, but was so fascinated by it. And we talked for a little while and I explained some things and, and then he made the comment that well, black people don't really come up here and do this, you know? And I was like, wow, like that's, he's never been in this world before. This is his first encounter with climbing. And he just knows instinctively, like this is not a space that has a lot of people of color in it. And I found that it kind of blew my mind. Like I've, I've talked about this with my wife a lot because I just didn't know what to think about it, you know? Super interesting. You you had white parents, mm -hmm. and they came to your roller derby. Are they matches? Bouts. Bouts. They're called bouts. Okay. Yeah, I like that even better. <laughs> they came to your bouts, and you said they were nervous at first. Your oh, dad yeah. ex extremely nervous. Oh yeah, my dad was. <clears throat> my dad was. Uh, I mean, a nerd, like proud nerd and would yeah. bring a book and which is would, why you grew up in the smithsonian yeah <laughs> yeah cool yeah <laughs> i so take cool. a lot of things yeah. after him um he would bring a book um and when he knew that i would get on the track because and we can kind of explain a little bit more like the rules like i would be more of a jammer often um he would look in his book and read and wouldn't watch me for the first couple of times i started and then one day he finally decided to watch and he was like this is really cool. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yes. <laughs> Cause and, I mean, obviously my, my parents were much older too. So they, the whole kind of like delicate, very traditional, like as a, as a young girl, like, should I really be on the track pushing other people right now? Right, and like right. falling down. Um, and so they were always kind of like hesitant. I was going to get hurt. And I, I still say this all the time. I'm like, well, if that happens, it happens. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, my mom has learned to like be okay with my saying of that because beforehand she would not. And my dad <laughs> would be like, okay, sure. 
whatever you say type of thing. <laughs> but then it grew on them and they got really pumped. And so my siblings would come to um, and watch and like having friends. And it was really cool to like just see like a turning point for them because it was kind of like a learning idea of like, oh, they're learning a whole different generation of the way like a woman kind of represents themselves. It's not the very like Susie Homemaker style. Right. Um, right. Where, you know, they're allowed to like do whatever and like come home with bruises <laughs> along <laughs> on your side and arms and like yeah be okay with it and... so you've got all sorts of barriers you're trying to break through all at the same time in mm-hmm. different directions oh yeah oh yeah and still yeah. am still am especially with my mom um you know there's a lot of things that we talk about and conversations that we have and for me it's a lot of like language talking mm. um because there's a lot of things that you would say and like oh you know that's actually not something that we would say in this space or you know right let's think about that in a different way type of thing and yeah so you know always teaching but and i think that's how it should be like the the generation coming up should be educating the older generation about the way things are changing you yeah know? yes and in a non-judgmental way yeah for oh, the yeah. most part because the older generation just doesn't know different Mm-mm. you know it's what they've been programmed to to know to do so tell me what a jammer is. So the jammer um, in about is someone I always tell people like if they've seen Harry Potter and Quidditch, it's like the golden snitch. Yeah. Um, so the jammer is the one who actually is scoring the points. And so the way the square points is get past the blockers um, and each blocker that you get past um, creates a point. Um, if you knock out another jammer, it's a, a uh, oh, it's been a while since I've skated but it's a power jam. Yeah, a power, power jam. jam. So therefore, the um, standing jammer is allowed to go through. Um, they have control of the jam. Um, and so they can go through and try and score as many points as possible until the other jammer who's in the penalty box gets out. So normally what happens is like the jammer will go through, try and grab as many points, and when the other jammer is about to get in they'll do what's called a call off so um they'll just like hit their hips and let the refs know that they're calling off to jam and then that that jam ends. so jams are normally about two minutes they can be up to two minutes long um but you can call depending on the strategy that you and your teammates have decided you can call it off early if you become lead jammer um it's yeah it's Kind of harder, I guess, when I explain derby, like without, I normally like have a, like a, a map of like, this is right, placement, sure. uh, but. Well, it sounds like, you know, the jammer has some control over what's going on on the floor mm-hmm. and, and there's a lot of importance to that sort of like, you're scoring the points, you're kind of setting the pace for what's going on. <clears throat> and, you know, after having talked to, to Bethany and the other girls. That's sort of how I feel about what you all are creating. This whole movement is like, it's massively important. And I just get to sit on the sidelines and watch it and like watch you all running past blockers and scoring points. And, and what you just described feels to me like watching this evolution of Brown Girls Climb and Color the Crag and Brothers of Climbing and just seeing it all happen as a spectator, essentially, 
you know, I get to come and interview you and, you know, like I'm the newspaper reporter at the roller derby bout, you know, but do you ever feel that way? Like the work you're doing is important. Lots of different types of work you're doing are, is important. Do you feel like you're running past blockers, scoring points? Like it's this urgent, exciting, pressure-filled situation? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of mixed emotions. Um, I definitely feel like with the movements and like spaces that have been created, there's been definitely like scoring points and like in a sense yeah scoring points but like really being able for like the industry and like the climbing community like our voices are becoming louder and being heard and like things are changing and not only in the community wise but thinking bigger and like companies and brands and like a lot of um brands with sponsorships and that athletes like they're now learning and thinking about let's think outside the box of like who we want to choose like let's make it more community like oriented based um but also just seeing you know with color of the crag um and like Rangos climbing brothers climbing just the booming of so many other great affinity spaces happening just across the country and um that are so important important for our community because not everyone can come to a festival um or not everyone can you know Brown Girls Climb, our, our meetups are slowly kind of happening around the country. We mm-hmm. onboarded some new leaders, but we're not in every single state. So when someone gets inspired, you know, they're like, I want to do this for my mm-hmm. gym. I want to do this for my community. That's that's a big win because it's saying like they feel the confidence and they see the need that needs to happen. And they, they want to take that effort and know the steps. And for us, it's really about giving tips and tools and resources and just, you know, we're not holding it for ourselves. We want this to be, you know, for our community and for everyone. And so we want people who, who have that like buzz of wanting to yeah. continue on passing the baton in a sense. Um, Cause you know, we probably, we won't all be doing this in our fifties. Maybe we will. Um, but you know, you, yeah, there's, there's those... rappers rapping in their fifties <laughs> now. True, so it's true. I mean, anything um, can happen. Anything can happen, <laughs> but just, you know, it doesn't stop with us. Um, and, and kind of like what I said earlier about, like we're all very different and we all have different learning styles and different ways of, we want to see spaces. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, what's been really cool. Um, via like spaces from Brown Ascenders to, um, play for all. And like these spaces Mm -hmm. that are just growing and growing and, um, whether they got inspired because they saw like an Instagram or they got inspired because they were at the festival. It's like, it's just, it's especially in the last two years of seeing the growth of, you know, a seed of, of important needed spaces and really conversations too with gyms, like seeing people feel confident going up to their gym and being like, Hey, like this hold that you have right here is super problematic. You should probably consider, taking it down and not only taking it down, but educating yourself of why it's mm. inappropriate versus trying to like, Oh, you know, it's fine. It's whatever. It's just old. It's like, it's more than that. Right. Um, it's more right. like if you're a community mm. in open space, you want to really take that time and, and be like, Oh, I, get, I know this doesn't affect me, but I can see that it affects you. And yeah. I want to figure out why and learn more about it type of thing. And then, and like slowly we're seeing a lot of that, but also slowly sometimes you kind of just see like the very facade of like 
for show. Like, yeah, we did it, but it's more like you need to, what else are you doing diving deeper in? Like you can put up signs saying that you're inclusive. Um, right, right. But like really how inclusive are you? What are you doing? Um, not only with your staff, but with the community and things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that in the middle of that, you said, but we're not in every state yet as if like you were almost disappointed, like, well, we should be in every state. Why aren't we in every state? And, and I can imagine that there was a time at the beginning of Brown Girls Climb and at the beginning of Color the Crag where it was like, this is such a new thing. It's a one time, like, let's have a meetup. There's three of us, you know, and you can't even imagine it happening in another place. And now you're like, well, it should just be in every state, you know, and you're totally right. And I just think it's cool to see that difference, that change in thinking of let's make this thing that we really want, my friends and I really want, and then you start to see the importance of it and you start to build it and then everyone else lets you know how important it is by getting super excited about it, you know? Yeah, and then I I will also add too in a sense of it, when I was on doing my road trip, um, it was really interesting just to hear about people who know maybe about those spaces, but like this is their first time actually maybe climbing with another person and being able to like have that space to, you know, just feel comfortable to release the frustrations or their, their excitement. Um, cause you know, not everyone may be able to like travel out to if they're in one location, like one spot in California or yeah. one spot in Texas. So it's really, I don't know, for me personally, especially it's, I would love to just be able to go every, literally every community neighborhood, like yeah. doesn't always have to be a major city and just build that like um, community and be like, these people are here and like, let's, let's figure out how we can grow from that. And then kind of like go down like you all have this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you all can now build however you feel like it's more what you need type of thing. That's really cool, you know, not having to, not needing to feel like you have to have a hand in it all the time. Like, here, let me just plant the seed, and now you water it, and you prune it how you want it, and create this thing that you want, you need. Let's talk about the road trip a little bit. Yeah. What was the impetus for the road trip? Um. Why not just take a vacation? Because you, you work a full-time <laughs> job, you do all this advocacy work, why not just take a vacation? It, so it actually originally started as that. That was always been, I, I've always had that dream. And I feel like a good chunk of people had that dream of doing like a nice yeah. cross country road trip, hitting up all the national parks, Yeah. Um, you know, just living it out. And for me, um, I guess a lot with the work that I do, I wanted to like add in like a new element to it and meet other people who want to just go out and climb and want to get out and climb with other women of color. But then I'm also was like, I would love to hear like other people's stories and not just like, yeah, we're getting out and climbing and that's it. But I also want to know like why you climb. And I, and I really wanted to emphasize that too, in a sense of I wanted our, like not only our community, but everyone see like why climbing is important for other people in a sense of not having to be the dirt bag that lives like five minutes outside of Bishop. Like, right. 
they're weekend warriors mm. and like you know people yeah. who are in graphic design or teachers who have that same mentality and passion but often don't their voices aren't heard or seen but they also you know understand like what's happening in the climbing industry they also see what's going on in like all the natural crags too and so i really wanted to amplify their voices as well um so there's in a sense the road trip was kind of me like i wanted to take a break and like ro ride around but then i'm like i also wanted to use this space to like step back and uplift other people's voices that you know maybe this is like their one time that they're like i said my piece and now i'm just gonna go back and do my thing or mm -hmm. um do you think you're capable of taking a vacation <laughs> um i question this about myself sometimes that's why i'm asking no i don't think i'm i'm i've tried actually i've only looked at my email one time i forgot to put away message so i feel like uh, that's a improvement versus <clears throat> like looking at it almost 24 7 it feels like um i i took my very first like vacation vacation last year when i went to joshua tree and i just climbed and i didn't do anything mm. hung out with friends ate tacos yeah so i am capable of doing it but i also have a lot of ideas <laughs> that yeah. i want to do yeah but, and a lot of my ideas aren't just like around me it's a lot of round of like just being with people and getting connected which i laugh because i'm also someone that doesn't i also like hanging out by myself too but it's like this weird thing of like i want to just meet new people and just hear their stories and yeah. just like listen i i love listening to people i feel your stories. pain yeah I, i'm the same way i'm i'm an extremely extroverted introvert yeah so. yep yeah but you had three questions you were asking everybody mm-hmm what were the three questions? So the first question was what their passion was outside of climbing um, slash how they have transferred it into climbing. What frustrations that they see in the climbing um, community, what they see like personally and um, just in general. And then what's their um, kind of their take of the future of climbing. Yeah. And I also mm -hmm. kind of pinpointed like personal and then also community wise. Um, and it was really cool to just listen to everyone's um, passion and perspective um, because I had a, like a, a really great um, span of climbers. So some that have been only climbing for two years right. to some who've been climbing for 13 years and some who just want to or strictly boulders to those who are pretty multi range, like trads, like their jam type of people. Yeah. Um, and it was just really great to hear, you know, how they got into climbing. Some people, like one of the great stories was someone, they met someone at a bar and they, the person at the bar told them about climbing and they're like, hmm, I'm going to go try that. And like now they've been climbing for over like 10 years wow. around the world and like yeah. all because of simple conversations that they had at the bar. And, and I think that's really cool because everyone's climbing story i guess is always different but we don't get to talk about it yeah. um as often but yeah um did, did you run into anyone else whose passion outside of climbing was roller derby no <laughs> no that's sad but there are there are climber I wish roller derby had. people but i wish i had too if you're <laughs> out there that'd be pretty cool um did you see any themes like with the what people thought the future of climbing was going to look like 
And yeah. were, were all these people of color that you're talking to? Mm-hmm. These were all women of color. Um, all women of color. Okay. A common theme was, especially the gym community, like understanding like the Olympics is going to happen. There's going to yeah. be like the that big boom that's going to happen. Like we were already seeing a big boom in the, especially in the indoor industry due to yeah, like massive movies, free solo, Don Wall, and you know, yeah. real rock and all those things. Um, and so really seeing that partake. Um, I think also really seeing that there are stepping stones of trying to build a community space like for us and like understanding that we don't have to try to like be or like I don't know I guess kind of try to mold ourselves to be in like one space we can build our own right climbing community and climbing right. space um and like really taking the time to acknowledge and understand the land and so in a sense of really honing in on like learning about the indigenous history and the community mm-hmm. and the spaces. And, um, and that was something that was like in the frustrations too. That was a common theme for frustrations. And it was also kind of like the common theme for the future of like really seeing people taking more time and understanding where they're climbing. Um, and I was kind of having a discussion too. Like there's some places where I know it's hard to like have like, information like at waco where you can actually watch like a 20 minute video and like learn about the importance right um it would be a great dream to kind of have something like that in every absolutely crag space in this because i think that would also help um especially when people are transitioning to gym to crag that Mm -hmm. was also a common theme too is like the frustration of like not the education that is there but not as many people take up the education or like there isn't as much support in the education. Maybe your gym has like one session of gym to crag and it's right. maybe not as fully detailed as it, as it should be. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a good like um, conversation all around. That, that warms my heart a little bit to hear <laughs> that people do feel like it's going in a good direction because I, I feel like it is, but I also understand that I'm, not living the same struggles so I can really only see it from the outside in, you know, and I'm guessing that we're doing the right things and trying to move in the right direction and we're nowhere near, not even sort of close to perfect or, or having it done, you know, but I think the conversations are starting. And so it, it feels good to hear that that seems to be what people believe is happening you know, so that's good. Um, frustrations. What were the common themes? Um, and we don't have to like be super specific. Oh, no, no. Because um, um, kind of like a general totally idea of like being able to own that space. So whether mm-hmm. a crack or gym, um, you know, if you walk up and kind of like the conversation we were having earlier, like walking into a space and people are already assuming that you may probably climb like super low grades when you're maybe like a V10 climber and, um, or not really acknowledging like why when you enter in these spaces, you have to deal with a little bit more of, you know, conversation or deal with more like beta spraying or dealing with people, not just, 
owning your knowledge that you have. Right, um, right. Um, that was a big common theme. Um, you know, like I'm an outdoor instructor, like mm -hmm. at REI, and I <clears throat> tend to like just keep myself like low key quiet about things. And sometimes um, that was a big thing too. It was like, especially with um, what was just the idea of like having to like put out credentials of like, yeah, this is right. where I climb. This is how I climb. Right. Like I deserve to be here too. Versus like, like you have to give your resume mm -hmm. every time. Every time. You meet somebody. Yeah. Versus showing mm -hmm. up and being like, Hey, like I'm here climbing too. Just like you're climbing too. Yeah. You know, small talk and chat. And, um, that was a big common theme. Um, a big common theme was, I guess, competition too. Um, in maybe the gym setting, um, feeling overwhelmed in the gym setting for a lot of newer climbers I was speaking with. Um, overwhelmed, like <clears throat> just that there's so much going on in general, or there, I mean, there are a ton of egos flying around in the gym. I mean, that's just something everybody deals with, sadly. Um, what is you explain that a little bit more i'm just curious how to i think it was a lot more to do with like overwhelming with like egos or like it gets in the beginning of like where to start like if you wanted to start climbing by yourself like versus like you know i think it's a privilege to think about like oh you had a friend take you or like partner or sure, something sure um like you you already have that like buddy system of like okay you have my back like you're you're gonna walk me through this versus if you're gonna walk into a space and be like where do i even start yeah i so watched this video okay i'm just gonna like some sort of an onboarding mm -hmm. like here's how you join the community yeah yeah sort of a thing could be helpful you're totally right um climbing gyms like when i started climbing were a very exclusive sort of atmosphere. Like, that's how it felt. That's how we all treated it, you know? Not not proud of that fact, but that's how it got treated. And, and it was an exclusive group that was like, you're in or you're not. You know, if you're just there visiting, you're just there visiting. We don't care about you, you know? I had never thought of the, about that, but that's how climbing gyms were back then. They were just small little niche places. And maybe some of that has carried over into these bigger commercial spaces and there's still not a good way of onboarding people and having it be a, a fun, inclusive community that's easy to plug into. I hadn't thought about that at all. And I'm totally grilling you selfishly <laughs> because because I'm going to talk to uh, a bunch of gyms soon about how they're letting climbers down and and just hearing all these ideas from people other than myself. My ideas are mostly training related and progression related, but hearing these other ideas of community and, and inclusivity are super important. So I'm just being totally selfish right now. <laughs> the The road trip was... Sponsored by Patagonia, is that mm -hmm. right? So I pitched, <clears throat> like, I got to pitch it. So I didn't, first off, I didn't think it was going to happen because I was like, I mean, I've gotten to work with them in other spaces. So I was like, uh, the idea I'm pitching may work because I, I was kind of 
honest and blunt about the idea of like, you know, we see like these big road trips happen, but it's normally done by like white dudes or right. people who have right. the time to like shell out like a month or, you know, whatever. So yep. in a sense, um, I wanted to be able to have that experience, but also like showcase like this is possible um, that you can get your fulfillment maybe only two weeks, maybe a week yeah. um, and doing it in a way where you and I called it like solo road trip because in a sense, yeah, I was on the road by myself, but I was never really alone. I was always like climbing with someone um, and also meeting up with friends that were in the area too. Um, and meeting a lot of people it, you hadn't met before. Yeah, yeah. Just... And so <clears throat> kind of giving that sense of idea too of like you can also have that experience of, you know, reconnecting with yourself, but also just kind of learning and get, getting connected to other people in a sense um, and taking that time. So yeah, I was, it was pretty cool that they were like interested in it, um, especially cause I wanted to showcase like, like in our community and the black community and district community, POC community that like, this is something that we also enjoy doing too. And, right. um, and not catering, like I'm not doing this trip to cater to like, white people in a sense right like, catering it to totally my community and yep. like yeah for uh, sure uplifting you know mm. our voices in a sense and so i think that i think my honesty in that was pretty helpful like cool and those the questions you asked everybody will eventually make their way onto the internet mm -hmm. as interviews and and you're not sure exactly what that format's going to look like yet or you are um so I've written a blog piece um, and then there's going to be like photos. I took like photos of all of of everyone um, climbing and like having their interview. So kind of since we're still working on like the editing of like yeah. what like the final final is going to look like because we've switched. I've switched it up multiple times. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I'll definitely have a blog on their website cleanest line um and then the interviews are going to be posted on the internets as well instagram um and or other places as well too. cool so. and if those aren't out by the time this goes out then i'll make a point of if you let me know when those come out i'll make a point of sharing them around you know yeah definitely. I, I would love to read it i would love to see all of these answers um and you're doing it for your community, and, and you should be. But I think the, the climbing community at large should be paying attention to it and learning from it because yeah. these are really valuable questions, and, and there's going to be really valuable answers come up. You know, these are the people that we want coming into the gyms and that are, you know, they're, they're buying memberships and they're becoming members of the community and why wouldn't we be listening to their super honest feedback? You know, I have never in my life filled out a feedback form in a gym ever. And I bet there are hundreds of thousands of other people who haven't either. So getting this sort of really honest feedback is, I think it's going to be a really great resource for people. 
that they should take advantage of. So can we talk a little bit about color the crag and what you do there? And before we wrap this up, we've been going for like 45 minutes already, but we should, I would, I just want to know like, a, how did the concept come to be? Like it, I think it's, it's all the, all the groups, well not all the groups, but several of the POC advocacy, advocacy groups get together to do it. Is that right? Mm Mm-hmm. And it's, who are the groups? So the brainchild of Color of the Crag is Bethany, who created Brongos Climb, and Mikhail, who created Brothers of Climbing. Mm -hmm. Um, And a couple other people, they came together with the idea of like, let's create an event where it's geared towards focusing not only our community in climbing, but just celebrating those who have been climbing and being in this space and community before us yeah. and those who are here now and kind of creating that stepping stone for the future. Um, and so the first year, um, it's it's always been held for the last few years, it's always been held at HP40, which is like a world-class bouldering space and area. Mm-hmm. Um, reasons why we had it in Alabama too was really to showcase like in that space of community that in the South, um, you know, history in the South is always especially with our communities, not... I hadn't even connected n- it to the history Yeah, the not wow. great. Um, so really recognizing like there's a space for those climbers that here. So mm-hmm. kind of like uplifting and supporting that space and community. Um, and so first year, we only did it for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Then next, the following year, we decided to kind of we're going to amp it up, go big, and yeah. actually do it from Thursday to Sunday. Um, and what's really great, too, about the festival is a lot of things is we offer workshops. Um, but all of our workshops are free. All of our workshops are done um, by our community, by athletes who are represented um, that are POC. Um, and we try to do workshops, not only that are climbing workshops, but those that are related maybe for mental health in our community or... Right you know, learning, understanding, um, leave no trace or focusing on, you know, wanting to build spaces like this in your community. How can you, what, what are the steps? Cause you know, you want to do this, but you don't even know where to begin. And, right. um, so, you know, yes, it's a climbing festival, but uh, like the end goal was making it much more bigger. Um, and realizing that, you know, there's so much that happens, not only, in the climbing community for us, but in other outdoor spaces as well. And so the, the, I guess kind of the theme kind of grew bigger and bigger. Um, so the third year, which was this year, um, was one of our, the biggest year, um, you know, kind of had the same concept, you know, Thursday to Sunday, um, we had workshops, um, we, you know, added a lot this year of like doing more offsite. So like having ropes versus just like bouldering workshops. Mm. Um, and then also, you know, switching up our keynote versus just having like a climber keynote, but someone that's working normally in there in the Alabama community in the outdoors um, and being able to hear the work that she's been doing, but also kind of what goes on and like how people get connected and so it was really great to kind of like just expand it out a little bit more versus just like we're just doing like 
climbing, 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 climbing. Because yeah. some people come to the festival and they don't climb. They're just there because they want to be in community. They want to be in that space and wow. be surrounded by like the love and the, <clears throat> the laughter, the tears, like being able to have heavy conversations because that was a big thing too. Um, as people say, like they're never ever able to have these conversations with people because maybe their partner may not understand maybe their family doesn't understand maybe their friends or you know community and so being able to just kind of um open up and be honest um not only you know honest for themselves and honest and kind of like taking a break from society it's kind of like what the that feel of like not having to to act out or like act or um there's term code switching so having to perform in a sense of of and a voice just to be um just to fit into the situation Mm -hmm. or yeah yeah. so that can just literally go out the window and so we try to do as much as possible um as a festival to make it accessible so we had buses that pick people up from the airport that would deliver them to the ground some people drove um and the shuttle would take everyone back to the airport um we had dance party we had a concert um so it was like it was a great way just to celebrate what we love to do like art um north face was like one of our big sponsors and so sam elias who last year did it as well did really cool art piece Mm -hmm. and so what we did was like lay down the table and people would just come up and like add their own pieces to it yeah and so he did another um he did a thing similar to that at like memphis rocks Mm -hmm. recently yeah yeah yeah. and so he did another piece for it this year and it was just like a great way for people to like i'm just gonna break it oh art let me just like do my thing Mm -hmm. and so afterwards just seeing like it was a figure eight um and just all of you know the different perspectives of mine thinking of like this is what my art or this is my little piece Right. to the festival right and um, i'm contributing to mm-hmm. this thing yeah, you know? I'm yeah not just a not just somebody who bought a ticket and came and am watching the concert and you know hanging out i'm i'm helping create something with this whole community yeah 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 and you know with every festival and everything like you learn there's a lot um that you learn like on the the behind the scenes in a sense but um it's yeah it's a process it's not something that can happen it can't happen in a month it (laughs) it takes about a year to plan out and you know having meetings with sponsors and brands and trying to get athletes and what's really cool too um for the festival like having brands come and see like our community and then maybe take back of like things that they need to work on Mm. or um ways that they maybe interact with like athletes they may want to they like switch up and so like um our biggest thing is like we don't want them to like come in asking questions but like if they come like if they have big takeaways the big takeaways like you know a lot of these people may not know about your brand and like sometimes people who come to our festival is their first time ever climbing ever and they wanted to do in a space where they felt safe and comfortable and totally um you know so yeah, yeah. Very cool. It's I hadn't really thought about this at all, and and I don't know why this had never occurred to me. But where does the model for something like this come from? Because if we look at like like the first people to break color barriers in other sports, 
I don't know if there are, you know, festivals for people of color who play baseball or who do roller derby or whatever it is. Do you think it's just because climbing is more community-based than athletic-based? And and where did the model, like, come from? What was the... I'm just curious. I had never really thought about the, like, building of this space in all these other sports and all these other communities as well. I'm sure it happens, and I just don't see it. I mean, I definitely nowadays I think it happens because we have so many different platforms like meetups um, and things of that nature. So I think really the idea was also to kind of take what happens online and bring it out into person. Mm. So, you know, with all the like Facebook groups and meetup groups. really fucking smart. Is, you know, you, you're talking yeah. online and things like that, but like bringing that space into like existence live where you can actually see these people and be a part of it learn and like come back and like right not only maybe learn and come back and just be like i'm gonna bring this festival with me but i'm gonna bring it back with me in like a very smaller way and so that's starting meetups in your own gym or you know so um we kind of with the festival too in the sense of it helped create other spaces for other people to Mm -hmm. just bring back home yeah, just this big domino effect. Yeah, of... yeah, and that's kind of like the 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 big goal too. It's like, um, you know, this festival may not always be around, so we want you to bring these tools that you've seen today and bring them back to your community and get your community fired up and you know <clears throat> know that you have people that you can ask questions all around the country for right. support. Like you have support and and you can bring all of that to your people to create that support. So cool. When is the next one? Um, to be determined right now. Is it usually like same month, same? Mm-hmm. It's okay. always kind of been the same month, same space, but yeah, right okay. now it's to be determined. Figuring so. it out. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Well, you know, it's, it's all over the internet and people can, people can plug into these groups pretty easy online. Um, Instagram, Facebook, all over the place before we wrap this up and before I completely lose my voice because <laughs> it's going quickly what are your answers to the three questions and you can't say roller derby as your passion you have to pick something else so um oh no roller derby is not I mean it is one of my passions okay. <laughs> so some of my passions outside of climbing um photography um music so i love going to concerts i'm also a big musical nerd Mm. so (laughs) i love going to like shows Mm. um and i like spending time in coffee shops and reading i'm really into coffee Um, i love making it love learning about it Mm. um i mean you're an introvert that loves coffee shops yeah because i can sit in the corner (laughs) with my uh, headphones and listen yeah. to podcasts okay. <laughs> and drink okay. my coffee or like read a book. So okay. it's like I'm being social, but not having <laughs> yeah. to talk to yeah. anyone. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and my frustrations in the climbing space have kind of always been just recognizing, um, just not having to do credentials, you know, not yeah. having to 
I guess, I don't know. For me, it's, I love climbing because of the sense, not just for like the mental aspect, but it's because it's fun. And so the idea of like the frustrations, like if you go to a place and you're only climbing B0, um, then you're not climbing hard, blah, blah, blah. But in my mind, I'm like, mm, depends on how my body is and what I'm feeling type of thing. Like yeah. it doesn't, I try to take the numbers out and just mm. have fun. Um, and there's some V0s they are hard. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but also just recognizing, recognizing the voices that are out there to do, right now that are making the changes and understanding that um, climbing doesn't, there isn't a mold of what a climber looks like. And so mm. often, you know, with the you know movies we see, like documentaries and things like that, it's always often like that's the mold of what a climber right. looks like. Right. And that's the only way to, you know, crush hard is if you're able to build out a sprinter van and live in Yosemite for a month. And that's right. You that's your accreditation. Like, okay, now you're a real climber type of thing where it's like, yeah. no, you can be, you know, someone nine to five and be a weekend warrior. And, or you can be someone that wears their Jordans to the crag because yeah. that's their approach shoes, yep. <laughs> you know, like totally. And to be <laughs> but, perfectly honest, I see a lot of people who are just in the sprinter vans, just trying to live this like dirt bag lifestyle so that they look the part, you know, it's not, that's not what makes you a climber. How hard you climb isn't what makes you a climber. And I think the perpetuation of that is <clears throat> frustrating. Mm -hmm. so. I, I think also frustrations and something that I mentioned, I think common theme is just understanding um, the land and really taking the time to get connected, you know, we're all, we like, we all get hyped in sites and like want to like hop on rocks and, yeah. you know, fall <clears throat> majority of the time. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, 99% <laughs> of the time. But, you know, taking that time to understand like who is, who was here, who is here and like why is this place special? Like mm. taking the time and recognize that there's going to be places that are going to be closed because, you know, yeah. an indigenous community uses the space for ceremonial use. Instead of trashing and bagging about, oh, why is this happening or why are they taking back their land, learn the history of why it's important for people to take back their land. Learn the history of why, like, these places are closed. Like, yeah, that's and you know, even though we're there's like points like we're progressing, there's also points where we're like stepping back and it's like, and that's a big sign of privilege and like not wanting to learn mm -hmm. other, other spaces. I think that's an, another big frustrations for me okay now that you've gotten a little heated <laughs> with your frustrations <laughs> where do you see the future um well the future i, I mean kind of in a sense of switching seeing the the idea of what climbers look like or space seeing yeah, the gym industry is going to boom and yeah, the um, Olympics is happening, but seeing people interested in a sport that they, you know, giving it a try, um, especially in our communities and being like, oh, wow, never thought I could do this or, um, you know, 
gave it a try didn't like it but this is cool and it's cool that you do it so like having that conversation and like not creating this like bubble of like oh we have too many people we don't need any more type of people especially mainly focusing in like indoor space um really having seen the future climbing kind of having these conversations um and being willing to learn that not everyone is perfect and everyone's going to be making mistakes and so we need to step back and look at what mistakes that we're missing um taking the time um to improve on those mistakes um i think we have to keep learning you know yeah you learn like i as a teacher you're you never stop learning you're you're always learning something new um and if you think you don't need to learn anything else in a sense, like, mm, yeah, every day, every day we are always learning something. At that new. point, you've lost it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've been talking a long time here yeah. and I know you're tired. It's been a long day. So thank you for taking the time yeah. and putting so much energy into this conversation. I appreciate it hugely. And I think, I think it's really valuable for people to hear this kind of perspective and the work that you did on your road trip I'm really looking forward to so thank you yeah appreciate it. thank you for listening to me ramble yeah <laughs> you know I've been in this sport this lifestyle whatever it is you want to call it for a really long time now and I recognize now more than ever before that my perspective on climbing is drastically skewed by my experience in it, um, both both prior to climbing and within climbing itself. And that includes the early years uh, up to now. All of those experiences have come together f- to help me form my perspective. So it's become even more valuable for me to hear other people's perspectives so that I don't lose sight of what actually is going on out there. Um, Because otherwise, frankly, I just would. My perspective is not the only one. My experience is not the only one. And I appreciate Brittany and everyone else who's come on here to talk about their perspective and their experience. Um, sitting down, taking the time out to talk to me and explain to me how they see things. That makes my experience as a climber richer and better, frankly. So thank you, Brittany. Thanks to everyone who listens to these conversations where I'm just really trying to absorb and learn as much as possible from my guest. I'll have links in the show notes to find Brittany on the interwebs. So make sure you go into your pocket supercomputer, click those, find her on the interwebs. The The project with Patagonia will be out soon, and I'll be linking to that on my social media as well. If you're going to be at the CWA Summit, please come and listen to me. I would really appreciate your feedback in the discussion as well. And if you haven't signed up for the Performance Climbing Coach Seminar in Colorado Springs immediately after the summit, go do it. Link's right there in your show notes. For all of the rest of you, you know where to find us, powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the Facebook and the Instagram, at Power Company Climbing. 
Get involved in the conversation over there. I'm always posting things that hopefully are make you think, will make you think, and I would love to hear your perspectives there as well. And you can get involved in the conversation on Twitter. It's just not going to be with us because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. Oh, yeah. Um, my roller derby name was uh, Betty Believe It. And kind of my tagline was like, she's smooth like butter, believe it mm. or not. I love it. <laughs> <laughs>